Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Leo Hefner. Thanks for being on the show, Leo. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Leo is a manager of South Bend 7, a debt-free private equity real estate investment fund that buys and holds cash-flowing residential real estate in the Midwest. He's experienced professional with a demonstrated history of working in the investment banking industry, skilled in negotiation, sales, forward and reverse mortgages, private lending, and business development. He's co-founder of the Mastermind Association with Dr. Greg Reed. As a co-founder of the Mastermind Association and a certified mastermind leader of BrainQuest Mastermind, Leo has had amazing opportunities to interface with some of today's largest business and thought leaders. So, Leo, thank you again. I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit. And uh, But, you know, you got to give us a little more about your background or real estate, how you got into this business and operating a fund. And I'm just looking forward to this a lot. So give us a little more background. Let's jump into what you do exactly. All right. Well, you know, as far as how I got into real estate, I got very humble beginnings. I, I grew up on the North Shore of Kauai over in Hawaii. My dad started out in property management, got my mom into it. And he went off into sales. So, you know, I was raised on, a, on an island in the jungle with parents doing real estate. And all of the biggest clients that were coming over and, and you know, my dad's clients anyway, all were in, all had something to do with real estate. So, you know, I had a couple of careers before I got into where I'm at now, but real estate was something I was always in and around. Wow. So raised in the jungle and your parents were in property management. So you're, you're, at least you were involved a little bit. You, you saw how some, how real estate worked a little bit or rental real estate. Maybe you could just explain this to the listeners a little bit and myself. You're operating a fund that buys and holds cash flowing residential real estate. Explain that a little bit, what that looks like, what your all's function is. So kind of where this, where this started for me is actually in the last crash, you know, 2006, 2007, I was wrapping up a, a computer training center in Vegas. There was tons of opportunity, but I didn't know the right people in order to take advantage of it then. And I watched a lot of people lose a lot of wealth. And as I started getting into private lending, I, I was seeing where a lot of these people, where their wealth shifted. And it came from being over leveraged at the wrong time where they got into the buying, just the flurry of, oh, just buy everything, just leverage it to the hill. And in fact, I met a dude who lost 997 houses in Vegas over the course of two years. That's, I mean, I I can't even fathom that. No, that's (laughs) multiple foreclosures a day. What is it? 992 years. That's over, that's over two foreclosures a day, every single day for two years. And When I was talking to him, I'm like, how did that even happen? And it was odd because he wasn't really sure. He's like, you know, the bottom just fell out and I, you know, I couldn't pay these bills and this and that. And people started leaving and then I didn't have staff and then just everything just kind of crumbled. And his, he was leveraged to about 80%. And it was through our conversation where he kind of went, oh, I had too much debt. That's what it looks like to me. But he wasn't alone. I mean, just in over the next couple of years while I was doing private lending, I was seeing how the banks really were in the best place in a lot of how 
I mean, in all of us, in every loan they're in, they're in the best spot unless they're in second position. So that's what brought me back towards, well, how do I buy rental real estate? How do I buy real estate and create a safe place for people to be able to park their money for the next crash? Well, and that was how we came up with South Bend 7. You know, it's debt-free. We have zero debt. We own right now about 30, 35 doors. They're all cash flowing. They're all lower income. So, I mean, it's that section eight where a lot of people shy away from, but we've had very little dip in our, in our rental income during this whole COVID-19 issue. This is exactly where we wanted to be. I'm not losing sleep. I don't have banks calling me. I don't have investors calling me. We're good. This is what we designed this for. Nice. Well, it's interesting. It's just interesting mindset to have zero debt. Like I mean, you hear everybody preaching in real estate, right? You you know, got to have as much debt as possible using other people's money, right? Quote, you know. So, you know, I, I guess you, know, you probably hear it a lot. You know, people, people probably say, well, Leo, you know, what if you just took 40% debt or 50%, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, what's your thought about that? So, you know, it's all about timing. And honestly, I don't have a problem going to 40, 50, or even 60% debt once we hit the bottom. I'm not going to leverage up right now once we're in the middle of a free fall and people think that we're coming back out of this. We're not. You know, I mean, we're just, we're coming out of three months of lockdown, but the financial ramifications of what we're just going through are going to be felt for years. There's no way it can't be. At least that's how I see it. There may be people that argue with me, but that's okay. So right now is not the time to be leveraged up. Right now is the time to get good sleep, not get gray hair, and go out and find those investors that see the value in this and want to protect their money from you know, the, the wealth transfer of Wall Street and just take it out of a riskier position. So you know, it, it's, it's a good time for us right now. And then once we hit the bottom, we'll leverage up, we'll buy a lot more, and then we'll spend you know, the next five years paying that off down to a manageable point. So when the next cycle comes through, we're good. Tell us a little bit about your deal finding process and, you know, and how that works a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I would imagine since you're, you know, you have cash, you know, to, to buy properties with, you can probably be pretty creative. Uh, what are some ways that you're maybe being creative or finding deals? Being creative in real estate is it's an art and there's a lot of people who like all the real estate agents, they don't get it. You know, it's very cut and dry, but you get into there's, there's real estate investors out there that know that you have to be creative and you have to solve problems for these people that are selling their houses or losing their houses. And so there's two ways you can come in and solve somebody's problems and get a house for a significant deal. One, you can just charge in and take it and, don't worry about the people who's losing their house because they had it coming anyway. That's why it got there. Or you go in and solve the problem. For instance, you know, I, I had a, I found two houses that were for sale from a, from a realtor. And it turns out that I had bought a house from these people about six months prior. And so now they're selling the rest of what they had. And I'm like, well, I don't know why they're selling. So I'm like, I told a real estate agent, call them. Let's just call the buyer except I was dealing with the buyer's wife before. So he gets on the phone, turns out the wife just died of pancreatic cancer. Mm. She handled all of the books, all of the houses. He had no idea what to do with them. Didn't even know, had nothing, didn't know. So might as well just sell them. So instead, I gave him three options. This is what I'm willing to pay for them. Flat out cash, here you go. 
If you want to carry some paper, here's another option. If you're willing to carry more paper, here's another option. Or if you still want to get the cash flow, here's the third option. How much money do you need right now to handle bills, bury Joni, and just be okay? It was like $5,000. I'm like, okay. So what if I give you $5,000? I'll give you, I don't know, 50 grand, I think the number was, for these other two houses in the fund. And now every month, you will get no less than about $200, $250 a month. Well, now you've got, you solved your cash flow problem. You got groceries. You can pay bills. What do you want to do? So he disappeared for a couple of days, came back and went, you know what? That cash flow thing works really well. So I bought $100,000 worth of houses for $5,000 in cash. <laughs> solved this problem. Uh, oh my goodness. Wow. But ultimately, I mean, you gave him some options. I like that. You know, and I, I love, you know, instead of just saying, well, here's what I'll give you. And then it's kind of a yes or no, or maybe they come back, but you gave him some options. Uh, you know, have you seen that work often? You know, where, if, I mean, do you try to give options like that often when you're negotiating? I do all the time, you know, and I, I do work with realtors and there's a few that I work with that they know I will go around them. I will go talk to the buyers, but I will never cut them out of the deal. And so now they're trained to the point where they're like, hey, here's a house. I think it fits for you. Here's the guy's phone number. Let me know what you need me to do. <laughs> I cut That's them right a relationship, right? It is because they yeah. can't understand what I'm doing because it's outside of their box. And then they don't want to because I'm the 1% of their clients that are solving problems, not just going out and buying a house. So I like to think of it that I'm helping. I'm, I'm helping our investors. I'm helping the sellers. I'm helping the community. Because a lot of the houses we buy, I mean, they're, they're lower income houses. And there's a lot of people that because they're lower income houses, they don't have much money to put into them to even make them a decent house to live in. Yeah. So I buy a lot from slumlords who don't necessarily, who just got into the business, didn't want to be a slumlord. It just happened because they didn't own enough houses. They didn't have enough cash flow. They didn't have enough money to make these places good. And then they get sick and tired of people always beating their houses up. So, you know, we go in and we buy a lot of these places. We fix them up. We fix them up to an FHA Section 8 standard and let people raise their kids there. And, you know, we push for a lot of them to have Section 8 because depending on what state you're in, there's different guidelines. I mean, Section 8 has the authority to remove somebody's benefits. And once you figure out how to do that, you can let your renters know, hey, you're Section 8, you're staying in this house, please stay as long as you want. Don't trash my house. If you need something fixed, let us know. And if you do trash it on the way out, we can penalize you for that. So if you wanna leave, it's like, well, what's that Motley Crue song? Don't go away mad, just go away. <laughs> Awesome. No, I love that. And you're solving some problems for numerous people in that transaction, right? Including the the renters, you know, or the Section 8, you know, they so they have a good place to live. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the, the fund side and, and operating a fund, maybe some pros and cons and, you know, the benefits of that your investors have even in investing in this type of fund. Well, it's interesting because we're, we're an open-ended fund, which means that we have a pool of houses that we've acquired. So when, a, when an investor comes in, they're buying into that pool and they're buying into all future houses that we buy because it's open-ended. So what that does is every time we buy a house, we increase cash flow and we decrease volatility. So by, decreasing the, by increasing the amount of doors, we 
decrease the volatility because if one, three, five houses are vacated that month, we've got more cash float. So it's not as big of a percentage hit. So those peaks and valleys, because how we pay is we pay out percentages of the cash flow received. So it's not a debt, it's an equity fund. So as cash flow comes in, we pay that cash flow out minus what we charge in order to do this for our investors, as well as to keep an auxiliary account there. So if there's any big expenditures that we've got money just sitting there ready to handle it. Nice. So it's interesting. I don't know that we've had anybody really talk about operating a fund like that. That's just open-ended and kind of, you know, over a long period of time. So, you know, how does that work for, say, investors investing, say, the first investor versus somebody that's investing, you know, after you've got 20 homes or, or I don't know, however much under management, you know, three years into it or whatever it may be? So that, that was interesting, you know, and that was a bit of a learning curve. So we started this as a Reg D504 which essentially means that we can take anybody, the dude working at 7-Eleven, the, the valet at the hotel, you know, doctors, attorneys, didn't matter, anybody, anybody could get in. So at any know, amount, no, no, at, at any no amount. Yeah. If we wanted to make that exception, we could make that exception. You know, we, we pretty much, we had a bottom of $5,000, but we could only raise a million dollars for when we started the 504, we hadn't, they, they hadn't upped it to a $5 million cap yet. Hmm. So we started out in the 504, which was, which was great. I mean, everybody was an investor. Everybody was a potential investor. And then once we fulfilled that, our SEC attorney, you know, she's, she's fantastic. But on the other side too, she's a little aggravating because if you don't ask the right question, you won't get the right answer. And she definitely won't volunteer information. So you know, it's an attorney, right? They don't, they don't want to be held liable for your bad mistakes. So when we got to that point, it was, well, what do we do now? Well, you start another fund. So then the thought of me having, you know, I, I had a flashback vision of, a, of some friends of mine that they, they flip houses out here in San Diego. And every house flip is an LLC. And you walk into his office and there's a law library behind him full of LLC books. That's not an 800-pound gorilla. That's a 4,000-pound gorilla. You know, in California, you breathe the air. That's an $800 tax. So I was looking at that, and it just had that flash. I'm like, I don't want to have 14 corporations. I don't want to have this ever-growing corporation issue. Because then what happens in a year, I've got this 504. I can now go out and buy houses for this one again. But now I've got this 504 open, and I've got this 504 open. Well, now I'm traveling to go buy houses, but who am I buying that house for? How do I figure out I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to choose to put it in what fund based on what? Who do I like better in it? Who's, I, I, I don't know. So I'm like, if I keep this simple and I have one pot and I put all of the houses into this one pot with the fund, then nobody can like accuse me of paying favoritism with this awesome house that's doing really good. And this fund's not doing good because I keep putting crap houses in it. Right. I didn't want the brain damage. So I had them rewrite. We did a reg D 506 C and we overlaid it on top of the first round of funding so that I could eliminate all of that, you know, and then there was some interesting variations there of how I was guided to set stock prices and, I mean, those were all just mistakes that I figured out later on. And now all those, just over time, those are just, they're coming out because the first round investors, they've been in for four or five years. They're looking to exit and leave, which is great for the second round. 
because the first round was at such a stock price that they were getting, you know, eight to 12%, but my second rounds were getting four to 6%. But as the first rounds leave, my second rounds are coming up to that six to seven to 8%. So the dilution is going the other way, which is fantastic. And it's, it's something that, you know, you live and you learn, you move through and, and through move, move through business and you figure out things and how to make things better. And yeah, I was wanting to ask a little bit about how that's structured or, uh, you know, if it never ends, you know, how do investors get out or, you know, is there, you know, some type of exit or a way for them to get their funds if, if they if they need them? So there are, but they, you know, because we're not sitting on a pile of money we need to deploy, we do have some exit strategies. Once we're, we're either going to grow the fund up to a portfolio size that a much bigger fund is going to come and swallow it up. That is one exit. And we continue to buy things at a 40 to 60% of retail discount. There's money there on the exit that buys the whole fund out. Everybody gets to go away. We start up another fund. And if those people want to come and play, they can come play again. The second option is if we, when we get big enough, if we get big enough, if we don't get swallowed up first, then we can look at the possibility of going public. If we go public, it opens up institutional money. I got people at CalPERS that say, you know what, once you get in onto a, onto a market, we'll put money with you. But you got you to gotta be able to swallow $250 million at a time. We're not that big. So that's not a thing yet. Then the other way, you know, per the PPM, you can't get out until the exit. Per the operating agreement, there's four or five different ways you can actually get your money back out if you, if you need it back out. So we are set up and designed for a long-term investment. Sure. But there are ways that if you're having malfunctions, you're having problems, or if just it's, it's time, you can go. Are there tax benefits by investing in, in a deal like this? Or, or is the, do those pass through to investors in a, in a fund like this? Actually, we, yeah. All of our depreciation of the assets pass through. All of the costs of doing business are all passed through on the K-1s. So absolutely. So where we see the cash on cash ROI is, you know, is at six to 8% after taxes and after all the pass through, you're sitting at 10 to 12. So okay. yeah, all of that passes through. So, you know, you mentioned a little bit about what's happening in the market right now. And, and are you still buying houses right now, buying real estate right now? Are you waiting? What's your philosophy on some of that? So the way I've been buying, even at the height of the market, I buy like we're at the bottom. I mean, a year ago, I bought a house for $2,000. I solved somebody's problem, literally $2,000. I walked out of this guy's house, told him he was going to have to pay me $1,000, just take it off his hands because it was, there was a hoarder living there. And it was probably the most disgusting house I've ever walked through. I mean, the walls crawled with how many cockroaches were in it. It was horrible. In fact, I ended up having to buy an exterminator for all the houses within two houses of this house after we bombed it because all the bugs fled. It's horrible. <laughs> but... You know, I buy houses like that all the time. You know, it's, I bought a, I bought a duplex a quarter mile away from Notre Dame at an auction for $28,000. I haven't paid over $30,000 for a house yet. And our average rents are almost $800 a month. Wow. I so, look at a lot of houses though. Yeah. I was going to say, give me, give us a couple of tips on finding, finding deals like that. First of all, it's a numbers game. You know I mean? When I'm out there on a buying spree, I'll go out, I'm up at 6 a.m. and I'm looking at houses till 10 o'clock at night and I might stop to eat somewhere along the way. And I have 
you know, I have people that are showing me houses that come in shifts because they just can't roll with me. And I'll do that for days. And I have them on total overload. And then, but I take a picture of the address, the date, the time. I take a picture of that. Then I take a picture of the front of the house. And then I go through my series of pictures and I do it the same way every single time. So that once I get back to the office, I can pull that up and I can look through the information. I can pull up the proper listing if it was a realtor or not, or the notes that I've made and be able to go through and then analyze each house based on what I've taken. So you look at a lot of houses and then you try and talk to the sellers if you can and solve the problems. The other way is talk to property managers. Property managers who deal with investors always have investors that are looking to get out, but they don't want to get rid of their properties because it, it hurts their cash flow. So work with them to see if you can buy the investor's properties and then just leave them with the, with the property manager. What's your plan moving forward? Continue operating this fund and you'll be bought out and then, and then you'll start another one like you mentioned or just continue to grow? Yeah, that's the plan. So the plan is just to, is to keep buying houses, keep growing. You know, we've already entertained a couple of offers, but they haven't, they haven't been big enough yet. And, you know, they've all come back. Well, you double your size and, you know, we'll have a different number for you. So the bigger we are, the more beneficial it is for the investors. And, you know, as soon as we exit on this, then, you know, we'll fire up another one. What's the hardest part about managing a fund? Not having a lot to do between, you know, <laughs> when you're out looking for money because you don't have enough money to go buy houses. That's the hardest part. Hmm. Buying houses is fun. Raising money for me personally, that's not as fun. You know, I like going out and finding the deal. So, you know, right now I'm in one of those spots where I can't go buy. I need to raise money. I've got tons of deal flow, but I can't quite go anywhere because I'm in California and they got us locked down. <laughs> so it's an interesting place to be right now. That is. Uh, what's a tip that helped you to get past that? I know you said raising money is the hardest part for you personally. What, what's something that you know, helped you to get past that to get where you're at now? realizing that when you're raising money, it's not about me. It's about the investor. And again, it's problem solving. What does the investor need? What does the investor want? And do I even fit that bill? Or what can I offer that would actually be beneficial to them? That was the biggest hurdle is getting out of my own way. Because I have something great. Let me ram it down your throat and tell you all about it. <laughs> and then forget to ask what they need. So as soon as I flipped that script, it became a different conversation and more pleasurable conversation for both parties. And it's been very good. Great advice right there. No doubt about it. Especially when you're learning to talk to investors, it's hard not to just, like you said, ram it down their throat, right? Push them completely away. So, you know, tell me though, uh, any other ways that say you're prepared for uh, in this type of business that you have, uh, operating a fund, buying deals like you are? I, I know with uh, no leverage, I mean, that's it's just incredible. But any other ways that you're, say, prepared for a, a bigger downturn than what we're seeing right now. Well, if all of the properties, if everybody moved out or stopped paying rent in all of our properties across the board, property taxes and homeowners insurance, those are really my only bills. So what is that? High side, 200 bucks a month? It's nothing. Well, we have enough reserves. We can pay that for two or three years. So it gets worse than it is and no investors come in because everyone's scared. We're okay. Yeah. 
No, that's awesome. That's an awesome answer. And to be in those shoes where it's like, okay, if it gets really bad, I mean, you're going to, you're you got plenty of reserves to come out on the other side laughing. Uh, and so, you know, what's a way that you've recently improved your business, Leo, that we could apply to ours? That's a great question. I utilize managers in the areas where I invest. I live in San Diego. I invest in Indiana. So I'm not there dealing with tenants and toilets. I manage the managers. So, you know, I have a weekly call with my property managers, just checking in. Sometimes it's like, hey, what's going on this week? Nothing. Great. How's the kid? How's the dog? How you doing? How you feeling? What's going on? What do you need? You know, and other times there's like, well, we got this, you know, we have things to deal with. And we've been doing it long enough with them that by the time I get to that phone call, most of the stuff's already been handled. So having a fantastic team on the ground where you're going to be doing business is key. Mm. And, you know, we, we opened up Memphis at one point. I could not find a good property manager to save my life. I could not. I spent weeks on the ground interviewing and talking to people. And it just, I could get it to work out. I wasn't meeting the right people. And, you know, we bought houses before we moved there, which was one very important lesson I learned is if you're going to invest someplace that's not close to home, show up there and develop the relationships before you buy houses. Great advice. And that's why you're looking at houses as, as hard as you're going those few few days, like you were talking about, you're traveling so far, you want to maximize that time while you're there. Correct. Correct. So what's your, your best source for meeting new investors right now? You know, I've, I'm part of uh, Secret Knock, which is, you know, it's a thing from Greg Reed. I, I go to there, I do his thing all the time. I'm I'm friends with a, a well, it's just a great group of people. You know, Scott Duffy, uh, the former Ryan Long of City Summit, City Gala. Those are all places I would go and I would meet investors. You know, Scott Duffy's mastermind. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but a lot of the people that are there, you know, I know the BrainQuest mastermind. You know, we put that together just to be able to help people in the mastermind association. I mean, all of that is, has been just very key, you know. So, how do I find new investors? I try to give back you know, be free with my knowledge and, and help because there's people out there that need what I, what I have or what other, the person next to you has, but you don't know that people need it unless they ask, you know, you don't know what's valid, what you got locked up in your head that's valuable to other people until you're in a scenario where people can be vulnerable and just talk about their business without ego. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I want to say that giving back, serving, yeah. solving other people's problems and, and not, and not letting my ego get in the way. Well, and I always ask at the very end, how you like to give back? Uh, is there anything you'd like to elaborate on that or something else? There's a couple of ways. I mean, well, somebody pointed this out. I was on another podcast and they went digging through my Facebook and they're like, look, what's this picture? It's me and my daughter. We're giving, we're, we're unloading a truck full of toys to give to foster kids in San Diego. Hmm. You know, so, I mean, that wasn't even one of the things that was on my radar. But, you know, we do things like that. I mean, once a week or so, we go out and give food to homeless people around just around our areas. When I'm off in Indiana, you know, one of the first places I'll stop is at Starbucks and I'll get a couple hundred dollars for the five dollar Starbucks gift cards. And as people are just doing nice things or just being cool people, I see something go, you know, see somebody do something cool. I give them a Starbucks card. Dude, that was really cool. Here you go. Thanks. You know, and in some of these areas where they're poor. There isn't a Starbucks in those neighborhoods. They've never been to Starbucks. I'm like, we'll give it a try. And then I've, I've started recently getting into the habit of going to one of the grocery stores that are in those neighborhoods and getting a bunch of little gift cards. So I'm like, Starbucks or, you know, 
the, the grocery store down the street. Most of the time they're like, dude, I'll take the grocery store. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Wow. Now that's awesome. Uh, it's it's awesome being proactive in that, like going and getting those cards. And if you're thinking that way, you're going to be ready to give them away, right? You know, absolutely. Right. I'm yeah. looking for that. I'm right. looking for those random acts of kindness from other people in the world, and then be able to just be like, dude, that was awesome. Here you go. Wow, Leo, thank you so much for your time today and giving back and just uh, sharing how you operate a fund and what you all are purchasing and how your investors work in the deal. I'm grateful for your time and getting to know you. Uh, tell the listeners how they can uh, get in touch with you and learn more about you. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook at just Leo Hefner, H-E-F-N-E-R, or you can email me at info7, the number seven at southbend7.com. Both of those sevens are the number sevens. It's I'm easy to find. You Google me, Leo Hefner. I think I'm the first three pages. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.